And I want to welcome everybody that is watching online or listening by YouTube or on our podcast. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this message this morning, and I thank you, God, for awakening our hearts and minds to think and process and live and love the way that you do. Thank you, Lord, for Rock City, and thank you for everybody that's listening and watching this morning. We thank you, God, for your love, your care, your strength, and your power that transforms us and causes us to think and process, love and live the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So obviously, I talk a lot about my testimony here, and I do that because of a few reasons. I know that you guys can't ever guess how many Grateful Dead concerts I've been to. How did you all know that? 45? Wow, I'm shocked that you knew that. No, it's an inside joke. Obviously, my wife last week's like, uh, we don't have to keep hearing that. But she was just giving me grief because the truth is, is that it's your story and your testimony that drives back the enemy and constantly reminds not only him, but you of where God's brought you from. All of us have a testimony. All of us have been through something in our lives that required us to surrender to Jesus or puts us in a place where we need to surrender to Jesus. And all of us have needed his health and his strength to change us and transform us into who we are today or who he wants us to become. People are spinning out mentally for a lot of reasons. We're currently in a series titled Blind Mind, and this is the fifth message in the series. And today, we're going to talk about how people really spin out in, the, in a spiritual sense, how they get distant and alienated from God, how they cannot know him, and then in turn, what Jesus does to bring us back to him and how that changes us. So there's a lot of reasons why people spin out. I spun out for a whole lot of reasons. And I talk about that because it helps other people to identify with not only my life, but how God, if he could change me, can change them. And sadly, we live in a world where a lot of people have made a lot of mistakes. We come to Jesus for a couple of reasons. One, we realize just how messed up we were through mistakes and failures. We see that we can't do it without him. We come to him because we realize that God has a better way for us than maybe what we've seen in our family or in other people. Or we come to him in a moment of real crisis. And sometimes it takes crisis to bring us to him. I don't like crisis, and I wish none of you ever went through crisis. But crisis happens. Crisis sometimes happens by our own choosing and the choices that we've made. And sometimes crisis happens because of the choices of other people. Sometimes things affect us directly or indirectly. Today I want to talk about some choices that we could have made that caused us to spin out in sin and in turn affect us mentally. Sometimes we're the ones that bombed it really, really good. And we have to realize that even though somebody else bombed it for us, namely Adam and Eve, Jesus came to redeem and reverse the curse that's plaguing so many people's minds and hearts and plagued mine. So you all should know that I really spun out. I made some real bad decisions in my childhood. I was neglected. I was abandoned. My mother left me at, at uh, a babysitter all day while she worked two jobs. My blood father left me when I was a child. And so I was constantly seeking approval from other people. It caused me to live in a performance mentality where I was always working hard or striving to make other people happy. And in turn, I had some successes. I wound up uh, being really great at sports. I made a lot of friends. I was popular. I graduated college with honors. I um, was, was successful in a lot of things 
from the world standpoint, but at the same time, I spun out on drugs, I spun, spun out in hurting other people's lives, and I spun out by making a lot of really bad choices. And in all honesty, uh, there's no such thing as a smart criminal. All criminals are dumb, I'm just letting you know. And eventually, you're going to get busted or you're going to get caught. And for me, I got busted over and over and over again. And eventually, I got tired of hitting my head against a wall. And I realized that something had to change for me. I was tired of doing it my own way. I was tired of waking up in the mornings after a night of partying and doing all the things that I did, feeling empty on the inside. Nothing could satisfy me. And without Jesus, I fully believe no one will ever be satisfied or find peace and comfort in this world. You see, Jesus designed us to experience comfort and pleasure. He put us in a garden called Eden, which means comfort and pleasure. And so there's something innately wired in every single one of us that longs to feel good. We long to have comfort and pleasure in our life. But without the true source of comfort and pleasure inside of our heart and in our soul, what happens? We run to drugs, we run to alcohol, we run to the arms of another, we run to pornography, we run to sexual immorality, we run to parties and drinking and all the other things that this world offers to make us feel good. And that's what I did. But I realized that those things ultimately never could satisfy. And I'd have to keep doing them over and over and over again. That's why I went to so many Grateful Dead concerts. And it wasn't just the Grateful Dead. I saw another 45 concerts from the craziest of craziest bands, from Pink Floyd and Metallica and to Steve Miller Band to Ozzy Osbourne to basically full-scale living in the, in the world system of concerts and parties and drugs and ladies' nights and drinking. That's who I was. And I did that because I had no concept of what real love looked like. One of the greatest things that we can do is self-deprecate and own up to the fact that many of us never saw what real love looked like. Our parents didn't show it to us. We didn't see it in the school system. We didn't see it with our friends. I was raised in a culture of comparison and in a culture of trying to be like everybody else or fit in. But in the kingdom of God, you don't have to fit in. You don't have to wear the latest, greatest, coolest, hippest, most expensive of anything. You don't have to look a certain way, act a certain way, and there's no social status in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not a socialist kingdom, but God is no respecter of persons. Regardless of your weight, your hair, your money, the color of your skin, he loves us all equally. And if we could see how much God loves us and begin to be transformed in our mind and our heart, what he does is he puts the desires in us to take care of ourselves mentally, physically, and spiritually, and to do it the right way for the right reasons. Not because I want to fit in in the culture and be accepted. You don't lose weight so that you can fit into the culture. You lose weight so that you can be healthy and live a good long life. You exercise because you only have one body. And if you don't take care of it over time, I promise you, later in life, you will feel it. Some of us are already feeling it, right? And so what God does is he puts the seeds of health and life and transformation in you. But until you recognize the need for it, you won't be desperate to get it. If you think you're okay without Jesus, trust me, you're not. 
And if we look at the world system and we look at people that are atheists or agnostics, you know, COOs and CEOs and presidents of great corporations that are living contrary to what God wants, that are agnostic and atheist, and we look at their lives and we think to ourselves, look how good they're doing without Jesus, you'll find yourself really deceived. Because what you see in the public's eye is not often what's going on behind closed doors. And I can assure you, mark my words, please understand that this is gospel truth. The peace that comes from Jesus cannot be found in anything in this world. Jesus said, the peace I give you passes all understanding. It's not as the world gives. So the comfort, the pleasure, the delight, and the rest and the peace that we so desperately need in the way that we think and the way that we process can only come from Jesus. And you'll never know it until you give your life to him. You'll never enter into the process until you fully surrender to the process. Amen? I'm telling you from experience, from concerts and parties and drugs and making a ton of money in the world system, I realize that nothing can satisfy me the way Jesus can. Not my wife, not my kids, no amount of money. Nothing can satisfy like Jesus. And I'm not just saying that. This is 27 years in the making. This is 27 years of pursuit, mistakes, failures, forgiveness, overcoming, and never backing down. And so there's a lot of reasons why I spun out. One of the main reasons why I spun out wasn't just so much of what, my, what I saw in others or what my family did, but because of my own bad choices. And we've got to own up to our own poor decisions and not play the blame game. You know, my kids are four and six, and they're the master at the blame game. As soon as somebody gets, does something that gets them in trouble, they immediately point the finger at the other person of why they did it. It's an innate thing inside of them. They didn't learn that from us. They're quick to say, well, I did that because they did this. And that's why even our own children need Jesus. And I want you to understand that there's a deep root inside of every single person that's born into this world that has to be cut, and everybody has to experience the transforming life of Jesus. There's no exception. There's no exception. What they don't need is religious dogma. What they don't need is institutionalized Christianity. What they need is family. Because without healthy family, the kingdom of God can't advance and God can't show what the hurting and broken world so desperately needs to bring healing to them without healthy family. That's what they need. Our kids need it. Our kids need it so badly. How can you expect something from your kids if you don't live it personally? You want, how many of us would really like our kids to, to be worshipers? How many of us would love our kids to be spiritually disciplined, not in a religious way, but in a supernatural way? They're seeing visions and dreams, and they're having supernatural dreams, and they're praying for the sick, and they're moving in the power of God, and they're normal. They don't talk weird Christianese. They're healthy and strong, and they can function in healthy relationships. How many of you would like that? Well, then you have to be it, because you can't expect your kids to do something that you don't do yourself. What example do we set when it comes time to worship and we sit down and don't engage because we think it's too extravagant? Let me just tell you, the most extravagant worship that you think you could ever see here or on earth 
pales in its child's play compared to what's going on in heaven. I'm saying this nicely because I love you. You know, if I'm, could you imagine if me as the shepherd and pastor of this church didn't worship? You know, it's a pet peeve of mine when I see guest speakers or ministers or preachers come in for worship and they just sit down and all they wanted to hurry up and get to the preaching. But instead, I want to worship because I need to set the pace and standard not just for you, but for myself and my kids. Not just in that area. You can't take somebody where you want them to go if you haven't gone there yourself. Remember that. So I made a lot of bad choices, and bad choices have consequences. Sin has consequences. Not doing God's best and missing the mark has a consequence. And that consequence is death and destruction. And that, those bad choices often lead to several things, like regret. I can't live in regret for all the horrible things I did to other people's lives in my past. I messed a lot of people's lives up. I did things I would never even want to say here publicly. But could you imagine if I was feeling shame and condemnation and guilt and regret? Now, I've, got, I've had godly sorrow over those things, which led me to repentance, which led to full healing and salvation. But regret, really regret is defined as worldly sorrow. And you know what worldly sorrow is? It never brings healing, and you're always stuck in your past. It leads to unforgiveness, it leads to bitterness, it leads to a hard heart, and it leads to us spinning out in our mind because we're so angry about the choices that we made in our past. You know, one of the things that I, that I have battled on occasion recently, and I'm just going to self-deprecate with you, is anger. I've never been an angry person, ever. But I find that at times when I miss the mark of what God has for me, I get really, really mad at myself. And I find myself thinking things about myself that aren't true. Or I'll find myself cursing out of one side of my mouth and blessing God out of the other side of my mouth. Now, I'm not a cusser. But I'm thinking things and in, in, under my breath, feeling or saying things because I'm so mad at myself because I knew better or I shouldn't have done that. And I find myself stuck in that mistake or thinking I should have done it better. And some of you are such high perfectionists on your life and you set these insanely high uh, expectations that can either be unrealistic or you're not there yet or you're in process or when you fall short, you beat yourself up with guilt, shame, and condemnation. And then you're stuck in shame for weeks where you're constantly saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord. And God wants to heal you of that because the Bible says when you repent, God doesn't remember your sin anymore. You've got to understand the power of the blood of Jesus. So it goes kind of like this. My past has been washed away, but every now and then a thought will come into my head about something I did. Now, where's that thought coming from? The enemy will often come to try to remind you of who you once were to put guilt and shame and to break your understanding and communion and relationship with God so that you will see the Father in a warped light. Usually that light is that he's an angry God and he's going to smite you and now he's going to make you pay the price. And then we have this dysfunctional relationship with the Father that looks more like a master-slave instead of a father-son. And some of us, through dysfunctional religion in our past, 
are living our spiritual lives with a master-slave mentality. It's an orphan spirit. When people have a disdain for the church, no matter what's happened in their past, and I get it, TV preachers, street corner preachers, organized, institutionalized religion, those things are, are, are ugly to me. But when people walk away from God's people and say, well, I have a relationship with God, but I'm not in communion relationship with his church, they're out of the will of God. You can't have one without the other. It's an oxymoron. And so people, for all kinds of reasons, have a disdain. But we've got to be the ones that show through the contrast, what the light, people are converted by the light. But they're walking in darkness. That's why the scripture says the people have seen a great light. Those who once walked in darkness, the light has come. And when light comes, it shines onto the dark areas of your mind that are causing you to spin out or think dysfunctionally. And so regret keeps you stuck in the past, doesn't it? Failed, failed marriages. Drugs, alcohol, the way we yelled or abused our children or the poor example. Some, some people get saved long after their children move away, and then the devil comes to put regret on them about what they should have been doing with their kids, and they're living in shame because they, blew, they botched it with their children. But you can't live in the past. And so when the enemy comes and says, you remember that one thing you did? I say, yeah, I remember, but it's covered in the blood. That's, that's one of my greatest weapons of, of really, it's like a defense, but it's an offensive strategy. Oh, you know when you did this to that? Oh, yeah, I hated that. I did that. But you know what? It's covered under the blood, and now I'm changed and transformed. I'm not that person anymore. So you've got to understand the power of the blood of Jesus to wash away your past. That's why you've got to see the cross. This generation's walked away from the cross. If you don't see and understand the power of the cross in Isaiah 53 and the way that people see Jesus pre-cross and post-cross and how people don't understand until they make the decision and what he took and bore upon him, the sin and the shame and the pain, yours, that the punishment that we deserved, he took it on the cross and shed his blood because life is in the blood. Let's say that together. Life is in the blood. Now, I know in talking about mental health and mental illness, it's a heavy-weighted topic. But when one out of five people are struggling with mental diseases and sicknesses, it's a topic that the church has to tackle, right? So shame, regret, failures, bad choices, sin. There's so many other factors. Never knowing how to love or what real love looks like. When you've never seen what real love looks like, you will always see love in a wrong light or you'll falsify what real love looks like when really it's more like lust. There's a reason why the clubs and the bars and the watering holes are full of people nightly. And it's a place I used to go and live and where many of you used to go and live, not all of you. But people are hungry to feel comfort and companionship from somebody else when they can only be fully satisfied from him, from Jesus. And he's a man. Jesus is a man. Not a belief system, not a doctrine, not a theology, not a Sunday morning church service. And you won't get transformed by this message, by the way. 
you'll get information, which hopefully will bring revelation. But this is a monologue, not a dialogue. My desire is to give you the word and the truth to, for you to ponder it and think it and hopefully take some notes and then go drill it down deeper. I'll start the first hammer of the nail, you pound it in. I'll drill the first hole, but you screw the screw in. You, I'll give you the first drop of water, but you turn on the faucet so that the hose can flow. Transformation comes from experiential faith. Not good information. I'll give you some great information and some great revelation that the Lord's given me. But your job, just as my job was for 27 years now, was to take what people feed to me or give me and then make it applicable by drilling it, watering it, nourishing it, and making it personal to me. My story's not your story. But my life can be an example for you to follow just as your life is an example for somebody else to follow. And so there's so many things that cause people to spin out. We've talked a lot about that in this series. Pressure, high pressure, stress. One of the biggest things in this day and age that's killing people is money. Money in and of itself is not bad. It's the love of money or the greediness that comes with it that becomes our master, even if you think you're doing it in, the, in God's name. Money becomes a slave when we're constantly pursuing it or we made so many bad decisions that we're in massive amounts of debt. And then we live in shame because, man, I didn't spend what God gave me right. And then the devil comes and says, look at you. you God blessed you so much, but now you blew it and you cast your pearls before swine and you, you wasted what God gave you. Now you're going to pay. But the Bible doesn't say you made your bed, now lie in it. In fact, here's your option. I really blew it so I could live depressed, broke, busted, disgusted, and regret and regret, or, which leads to all kinds of mental illness, or I can say, you know what, Jesus, rescue me. I, I, I'm going to learn my lesson. I'm sorry for what I did. I need you desperately. Because you know what God does? One of the greatest things he does is he rescues people, and he fixes broken, even when you bombed it good. This money thing's a big deal. Some of you are major workaholics. You start your days at 6 in the morning. You go till 6 at night. You're exhausted when you get home with your family. You're not present. You're tired. And you think that it's all noble because you're making money to be the provider of your family. And let me make sure everybody understands you are not the ultimate provider. And you sacrifice lifetimes of experiences with family and relationships and advancing the kingdom for the mighty dollar. And then we live in this condemnation because they, he has, but I don't have. Why are they so blessed, but I'm not blessed? Yeah. And then we fall into one of the greatest traps that is sin, and that's covetousness. I want what you have. And then you know what that leads to? which we're in a time and age where it's the highest it's ever been, ever in the, in the world system, entitlement. You owe me. I deserve that. And that entitlement thing has got to be broken because nobody owes you anything. And if we don't teach that to our children pretty quickly, we're going to have some serious issues. <laughs> We already are having to battle that entitlement thing. That's mine. You need to give that to me. I want what I want. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You're not in charge. You're six. 
<laughs> and I don't care if they're 16. This bot, so you got money shame, money shame due to debt and comparison, and God can still rescue you out of it. Put him first, seek first the Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and guess what he'll do? Ask, seek, knock. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will knock and the door will. Those are eternal truths. When we repent, change the way we think, and turn from our shortcomings and failures, what does Jesus do? He restores you. It takes time. It's not like, man, I repented, and bam, there was a million dollars in my bank account. No, he teaches me what real success looks like, and that's how to love and live and lead right. You know what we, I teach my kids already? I say this to them a lot. I say, you're a leader. You're called to be a leader, but you'll never learn to be a leader until you learn to be a follower. Follow my example. But live and act like a leader. Is that how a le- I'm not pulling the pastor card. I get it. So many PK kids have been jacked up. PK, being a PK kid won't even be normal in their world. What's normal is family and healthiness, not religious institutionalized systems where we put the church before our kids. We won't sacrifice our kids on the altar of ministry. That's why it can be so difficult to get a meeting with us because we spend a lot of time with our kids. And one day, we'll be having a lot of meetings because they'll be off at college, and before we know it, they're going to be gone. So we eat up every minute of it. We love right, we live right, and we still invest into people. But we raise up other leaders, and we do this as a tribe because you can never do it alone. So here's what happens when you've made mistakes, failures, shame, is you can get bitter. Bitterness leads to hard heart and then affects everybody around you. Mark my words, no sin only affects you. If you're looking at porn in the private, secretly, I promise you, it's affecting countless people. Because one, it, it affects you in how you see yourself and how you react and live with others. Sin and poor decisions and anxiety and fear and all the things that come with it leads to social anxiety because I don't want you to really see who I really am. And now I don't see myself well, so I can't be around you, and then I can't have a healthy dialogue and conversation. Jesus wants to heal you of that because you will still make some mistakes, but you learn the power of the blood and forgiveness, and now I don't live stuck in that. I can actually love you because I love myself the way Jesus loves me. This is a powerful word. Are you guys fired up? I mean, I'm just so lit up by this. This is gospel truth right here. This is gospel truth. Can you imagine really being loved without strings or hooks or conditions? It's pretty hard to imagine for some of you because you've never seen it. So Jesus becomes the example to heal us. You cannot live in comparison to other people. The only narr- Until you get Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life, mark my words, the only narrative that you have is how you were raised or what you saw from other people. That's a little bit scary. Now, my prayer is that we're going to raise up generations of sons and daughters that know Jesus 
because we're all living healthy. But right now, today, where many of us are, we bombed it. Or we were raised in a pretty dysfunctional home life. Not all of us, but some of us. So what happens is, is the only narrative I have is what I've seen. Here's a common statement that comes from that. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my mom. And so we seek to raise our children different than the way we were raised, but our bearing, our, our, our narrative, our tree that we looked to as an example was to not be like they were. That's a vow and judgment that will kill you. Stop saying it. The best thing, here's the best thing you say, Jesus, I want to be like you. Papa, show me what real fathering looks like. I Because we can't play the blame game. I'm sorry for what they did. And we've, I've seen the worst of the worst, from incest and abuse to horrible situations with children. Nothing gets me angrier than that. But at the end of the day, regardless of what happened, I made a choice to live the way I chose to live. And I can't live in the blame game towards anybody else, and neither can you. You've got to forgive and release your parents or the people that have hurt you so that you can move forward. Jesus becomes the tree. Let's say that together. Jesus becomes the tree. You guys all right? I know I'm giving you some heavy revies and it's making you think. I get it. I know I've got you thinking about stuff, but it's all right. Because you're in the right place at the right time. Jesus becomes the tree. He becomes the narrative for our lives, not the way we were raised, and not living in regret from the past. You have to stop comparing yourself to other people. No more comparison, okay? The problem with social media is, is that people put their very best foot forward. But most people aren't putting their junk on there. Some are, and if you are, please stop. But, but seriously, there's always something between the pictures. There's always something behind the closed doors. And without Jesus, nobody will find true peace. No comforts, no money, no nothing can provide that for you. What happens is, is when people have made mistakes and live in regret and shame and pain, any sort of pain from their past, we seek to find comfort and pleasure somehow, some way. Many people, not all, numb themselves out. They check in to what I call the num-num hotel. I just want to numb it out. I'm hurting so bad about what I did or the brokenness of my situation that I just want to numb myself out. And we people choose to numb themselves out how? Through drugs and alcohol, sex, things like that. But not everybody does, and not everybody is an alcoholic or a drug addict. But even those people will never find true peace in life. And you may think that they're doing really great, and it may seem like it, but without Jesus, nobody can find the comfort and the pleasure that they really need. I know I'm beating that into the ground, but it's so critical that you understand that. I'm going to show you something so powerful in Romans, 6 chapter, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 21, we see this very clear understanding that the fruit that comes from shame that doesn't come from Jesus 
is destructive and it leads to death. Many of us will give our lives to Jesus because we're tired of banging our head against a wall and doing it our own way. That was me. I realized that nothing was working for me. When you come to the place of realizing that nothing is working for you and the fruit from your life is thorns, thistles, the sweat of your brow, toiling, not being rested, anxious, fearful, sleeping pills, nightmares, all the things that come with it, you recognize that this isn't working. And so the next verse makes it very clear in verse 22 that we get set free from those things. We get set free from the power of sin, which is destructive. Poor choices, missing God's best and God's mark. What does he do? He sets us free. And he sets you free because of the cross, because of the blood, because of his love. And he puts the spirit inside of you. And he says, now, when I was once a slave to sin, I now become fully submitted, adherent to my master, to the one that leads and guides me better than anyone else. I'm fully submitted to the headship and lordship of Christ. That's what it means to be a slave of God. And now the fruit in my life isn't thorns and thistles and pain and anger and brokenness and dysfunction and relationships and hurting people. What's the fruit now? It's unto holiness. Now that's a word many people don't understand. We see that word with weird religious piety from institutionalized churches. You know what holiness means? It simply means that now I'm choosing to live and becoming like him And now I'm not living in a life of brokenness and sin and dysfunction that's destructive. Okay? Verse 23. It doesn't matter when, where, who, how, or how big or how little the sin is. The the cost of sin, the wages of what it costs you and what it pays you. Think of a business transaction. It costs you, but it also pays you. It's costing me a sacrifice that will kill me, and what it's going to pay me back is death. Jesus does want us to come to a place where we're not living in sin. And I realize it can feel really good when I say, well, we're all sin, and you're going to sin, and even I sin, and, you know, but there's forgiveness, it's going to be okay, and man, it's like, oh, that's so real. Here's the real reality of it. The real reality of it is is Jesus doesn't want us to sin, and he wants us to know that if we do, he's an advocate to fight on our behalf. So yeah, mistakes happen. I make mistakes at times, and I fall short, but I'd like to not fall short. Here's a great revelation for you. God doesn't want you to sin. I was like, man, it's like so heavy, revy. Now, if you do sin, what do you have? What, what do you have as a great fighting tool for you? The blood of Jesus, the cross, forgiveness. Got that? You guys all right? Slap yourself left and right. I'll, I'll try to think of a funny story to tell you here in a minute and wake you guys up. But I'm saying to you guys that God wants us to live upright and healthy because he doesn't want us to live in anything that can bring death or destruction And he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In order to understand how to deal with the root of mental illness, we have to first understand that everyone, regardless of who you are or what you're born into, I don't care if you're born into a mega multi-million dollar family. Even our own children, 
Cadence and Zion have to get born again. Everybody, even though we're born again and covered in the blood and living upright before the Lord, even our own children are born into sin. It's Psalm 51, verse 5. It's a powerful, powerful word right here. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Well, how in the world would we have conceived our children in sin? We're married. Here's what that scripture means. Everybody's born with a carnal nature tainted by the poison of the garden from Adam and Eve. Everybody. Nobody's born saved. So the root of everything is, it's not that hard to figure out how one in five people are struggling with mental illness, anxiety, depression. Without Jesus and getting born again, they're living with a carnal mindset and they were conceived in sin. So they've got to get born again so they can be born again, conceived in righteousness and life. Do you understand? So everybody has got to give their lives to Jesus. No matter what their life that they're born into is. I believe that anyone living without Jesus and the transformation of our minds and hearts that only comes from him will eventually spin out. I really do believe that. One great psalm for you all to read when you have some time that's been a life psalm for me is Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, Asaph, the chief musician, is talking about how he's comparing himself to the world. And he says, look how wealthy and happy the world is. But look at me suffering all day long, denying myself. They even lay claim to God and seem to have everything. But look at me, I'm beat down and struggling. And then he goes on to say, when I tried to understand it, I couldn't understand it. If I would have spoken, I would have totally infected an entire generation. But until I stepped into the courts of God, I didn't understand. He had an experience and an encounter. It's a great psalm for you guys to read. I really, really love it. So you got to get born again. You got to get baptized in water. The water, the baptism of water is so important because it's you getting to go to your own funeral. So when you got baptized, you went to your own funeral, but you got to keep that old man dead. Many of us have an old man that keeps creeping in, old familiar spirits, 40 years of living a certain way, however, however old you are. And those old patterns have to be crucified and you have to put on a new man. I'm going to show that to you in a minute. But when you go to baptism, when you get baptized, you go under the water the old and you come up the new, just like Jesus went into the grave and was resurrected, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks on Easter. So you got to get baptized in water. And when you've been baptized in water, Always remember, you washed away the old man. He's dead now. Leave him dead. Okay? The next thing is baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna, I cannot emphasize this to you enough. The one thing that fueled fire in my life and awakened the gifts in me and caused me to walk in power and confidence was the immersion and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you can't just... just rely on your baptism from six years ago or 10 years ago. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit daily. To be filled means to be furnished and fully equipped. So if you're going to battle anxiety and mental health issues, 
whatever they are, you've got to have the Holy Spirit and the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. When we get to Pentecost, I'm going to talk to you about what the Holy Spirit does to your mind and what praying in tongues does to your mind. It literally bypasses the mind and awakens your spirit and causes the spirit to pray with your spirit and pray things you don't know how to pray. I pray more in tongues today than I do in my English language. All you got to do is desire it. I know some of you don't pray in tongues right now. All you have to do is say, I want that. Because most people that don't say, well, it's not for me and I didn't get the gift, but they don't pursue it and desire it. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 14, 1 talks about not being ignorant of the spiritual things, but also talks about desiring and pursuing the spiritual gifts. You just got to want it. It'll come. But don't get complacent. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, it's power. When you pray in the spirit, it re- it's like a generator. And I'm talking like a diesel 100,000 watt generator right inside your gut. When I pray in tongues, I'm praying the mysteries of God and I'm praying in ways I don't know how to pray and what it does is it edifies me. We'll talk about that more. It shuts off my brain. Sometimes your brain is, you know why people drink and do drugs and do all the things? It shuts the brain off. Well, for some people, it makes them angrier. I hope I'm making you think because I'm challenging you guys to live differently. This is an aggressive, aggressive time that we live in. We can't be nice, comfy, good churchgoers anymore. God wants more from all of us. I'm preaching to my own self too. So I don't teach you anything that I don't implement or practice myself. So once, sin, once we're born again, something powerful happens to us. Where sin once reigned in us, not only does it no longer have power, but the devil doesn't have power. And if you're getting your hiney kicked by the devil, I got some great news for you today. Jesus breaks the power of sin so that you don't have to live that way or give the devil any more open doors. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And when you get born again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says that he makes us alive. When I was once dead in my trespasses and sin, I'm now alive. I'm fully revived. To be made alive means a personal revival in your life. That's revival. Revival is now I'm not broke, busted, disgusted. I'm not walking around like a lemon-sucking, hunchback Christian. I'm not finding myself beat down and sad all the time. No, I'm living a Zoe, Sozo life. It's everlasting life now, and it's animated, and it's vigorous, and it's passionate, and it's exciting. Because if we don't have excitement and passion and joy in our life, we got this, this false religious piety that nobody's going to want. It's a disdain for other people. And it's real and it's authentic. It's not fake. It's not weird Christianese. It's not pretentious. It's not made up. It's authentic. Don't we all want the real thing? Don't we want to see the real thing in other people's lives? I'm convinced the greatest tragedy happening today is false religious piety and people controlling and manipulating in the name of God and saying that they represent God when they don't. It's the same thing the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. It's a religious spirit. I hate a religious spirit. And I'm very good at chasing them right out of this church. 
just by being me. It's offensive. Don't we all have a disdain for religious spirit? People can actually be corrupted in their mind by false religion. The way they talk, the way they act, the way they they, uh, communicate with other people is so weird and so foreign and so distant that it's like, if this is who God is, of course I don't want anything to do with it. But until you meet the man, until you meet the man Jesus, your life will not be changed, and you can't look at other people for that. So verse 2. We all once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So you have to understand that the world system has a course that it wants you to run. And that world system is controlled by who? Right there in the scripture. The prince of the power of the air who works in anybody that's living in disobedience. I was once controlled by the prince of the power of the air because I was living in disobedience, trying to be like the world. The greatest ploy of the enemy is to control the world system and get you sucked into it as a Christian. But when you get born again, you're not of this world. You're of the kingdom of God. So when you get born again, you realize that I once walked that way, but now I don't walk that way anymore, and the power of the prince of the air is broken in my life because I'm not of this world anymore. Verse 3. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You got to see that. That what happens is until the curse is reversed through Jesus, our mind and our flesh are working in tandem to get us to conduct our lives contrary to the way that God wants us to conduct our lives. But Jesus breaks that. He says, by nature we were children of wrath, meaning it was destructive for us and everyone else around us. Verse 4. But God. Let's everybody say, but God. Come on, say it like you mean it. But God. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Man, I love that. God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Don't ever take his love for granted. I'm telling you, he loves you so much. And he's rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Because of that, verse 5. When we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, which is empowerment and care and pursuit for your life, you've been saved. Isn't that awesome? Man, I think that's just so good. So because of this, there's a distinct difference in how we should live and think, and it's not the way the world thinks. I'm going to give you what I believe is probably the most awesome pattern of how people spin out in their mind in the Bible. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4.17. In Ephesians 4.17, Paul says this. He says that we should no longer walk the, the way 
that the world or unbelievers walk. In this version, it says the Gentiles, but the Gentiles in this context is the world system or unbelievers. Now that we're born again, we don't walk that way. We don't live that way. We don't think that way. In the what? The futility of their mind. The word futility is a powerful word. This word futility means vanity. It means transientness. It means always wanting and never having. It means never settling and never resting. Think of a transient. It's they're always moving from one place to another and never settling down. In your mind, you never settled. This is where it begins. They never found love and they never made the decision or they rejected Jesus and went keep going to something else. This is where mental illness starts for me. I think this is, the, this is one of the main reasons why people spin out in their life. They never saw it. They never had it. They never settled or what they saw, they rejected. So it's futility in their mind. Next verse. Then what happens is their understanding gets darkened. When you never settle in your mind, your understanding, which this word understanding also means the faculty or the spirit of your mind. It's the way you think, the way you process, the way you believe. It becomes darkened. It means the shade is pulled down. It is a mental blackout. It's a mental blackout. Then when their, their mind gets blacked out, it says that they become ignorant, meaning ignorant means an agnostic. It means that they don't know. They can't see. They, don't, they are morally and mentally blind. And then what happens is their heart gets hardened. The word blindness of heart, the word blindness is where we get the word petrified. And it means that your heart becomes hard like a stone. That's why Jesus says, I will trade the heart of stone for a heart of flesh. He takes out the hardness, the hurts, the calluses, the pain that's inside of you, and he gives you a soft heart. This is the pattern. First, it starts with, I never settle in, in my mind. I'm never satisfied, and I don't believe. Then second, it starts with, my mind goes to blackout. And then third, it goes to my heart, goes to heart being hardened. And then what happens is full-blown sin sets in. Verse 19. I go past feeling, meaning I'm desensitized. It means I don't care anymore. I rejected God. I reject his church. I reject Christianity. Now, even hurting people doesn't affect me, but even more than that, to go past feeling means I'm desensitized to my own self. You know how you desensitize yourself to feeling? You toke it up, drink it up, party it up, yeah, porn it up, whatever it is. I move past feeling. Now I don't care. Actually, the word past feeling is a powerful Greek word where we get the word apathy. You know what it means to be apathetic? I fully reject and have a disdain. Some of you have rejected the church and had a disdain for God's people. I meet them all the time. Met somebody at the Harley shop yesterday. It's like, I love what you're doing. He knows a lot of you here. It's like, but I just can't come. I can't handle spiritual dogma, religious dogma, the institutionalized system. I said, bro, I said, it's not like that. 
at Rock City. I realized you may have seen it in a lot of places. He goes, no. He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm apathetic towards those things. There's your word. I don't care anymore. I move past feeling. This is the pattern of the world system. I just want you to see this because if you can learn this, you can really understand how do people get there and how do we get them out? The powerful, powerful understanding. And so that's the bad news. Here's the good news, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and the renewed and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me read this to you in the Passion Translation. It's so good. Ephesians 4, 17, just listen to this in the Passion. So with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say, you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, there's the word, they surrender their lives. They surrender their lives. I surrender my lives over. In Romans 1, which I hope to read to you at some point and teach to you, it talks about how God gave them over to a reprobate mind or how God uh, uh, handed them over to their lustful desires. That word God gave or God handed over means God removed his hand and yielded to you. It doesn't mean he said, oh, you're such a screw up. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna thrust you into it. And what it means is, is you've thrusted yourself into it. You get it? It's like, man, I'm the one that made the choice. And I chose to stay that way. And in turn, the consequence of sin broke me. Let's say this together. You don't break God's laws. They break you. Now, I know this is the most popular Joel Osteen teaching on a Sunday morning. And I like him. I'm just saying it is what it is. Sometimes you've got to hear the truth for what it really is, no matter how hard it is. And I know that some people don't like it. I'm not a hard bashing, Bible bashing, sinful preaching kind of guy. But if we don't understand the contrast and that sin leads to destruction in our mind and how we get there, we're never going to know how to get out. Right? Verse 20 in the Passion. This is not the way of life Christ has unfolded within you. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in who? It's in Jesus. And he's taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new in every revelation that's been given to you and be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. You now belong to him, and you've been recreated. You no longer belong to the things of this world when you get born again. It's powerful. It's powerful. 
To be renewed in the spirit of your mind looks like this. Romans 12, verse 2. Just jump to Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You get renewed in your mind so that you can have confidence in who God is in your life and what he's called you to do. Colossians 3, 9, and 10. Don't lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. I love this part right here. Renewed in the knowledge. Look at this. Renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Let me explain that to you. When I get knowledge of who Jesus is through his word and hearing his voice and being taught by him, it renews my mind. If I'm constantly thinking about the world and my problems and my struggles and comparison or my issues, it de-renews me. It, it back, basically backtracks me. But the more that I know him, the more that I become like him, I'm transformed, and now my mind gets renewed. To be renewed means to be made new, and it means that all those broken synaptic connections and neural pathways from all the mistakes get healed. Because I did a lot of jacked up things, but those things now are not a part of me because my mind's been renewed. Right? So it's powerful. And then finally, I'll leave you with this one more great scripture from the Passion Translation, and then we're going to pray. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. You've already spent enough time doing what unbelievers love to do. We've already done that enough. And I pray that some of you never do that. I don't want my kids to ever have this scripture applicable to them. They're still going to desperately need Jesus. But for those of you that have, you've spent enough time doing that. Living in debauchery, sensuality, partying, drunkenness, wild drinking parties, and the worship of demons. They marvel that you no longer rush to join them in excesses of their corrupt lifestyles, and so they vilify you. It's what happened to Reuben. When he came out of that lifestyle, the people that he was surrounded by hated that he chose to not run with them and actually spoke evil of him in the beginning. But he came out of that, and now that's no longer who he is. And that's the case for so many of us. We've spent enough time. We've spent enough time. So don't let your mind be alienated from God. He longs for intimacy and closeness. To be alienated from God means to be estranged. And he doesn't want you to be estranged. He wants intimacy. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants you to experience his voice and his teaching and his leading on a daily basis. He wants to transform your mind. He wants to break the power of sin and shame in your life and the course of this world, and the prince of the air, the enemy that has wreaked havoc in so many of your lives. So this morning, if you're battling old ways of thinking, regret, shame, failures, mistakes, if you're stuck in your past, if you need to be awakened in your mind and in your heart so that the broken things that have, have just ate you up can be healed, today's your day for that. Today's the day. Today's the day for you to see the cross 
and get the power of the blood of Jesus in your own life so that you can now combat the lies, the familiar spirits, the things from your past that try to wreak havoc in your mind. And I want that for you. I want it so desperately. Let's all stand.